Join us as we listen to Senior Pastor Brady Cooper of New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, visit us at newvisionlife.com. For now, let's join Pastor Brady Cooper. I'm glad you're here for week two of The God Life. If you were here last week, uh, we said our vision statement here at New Vision is we want to know Christ, we want to make Him known, and then we want to have this uniform a mission statement that everybody really gets and our hope and our prayers that we would buy into that. And that's this statement that we want to guide people to lives of, of gospel transformation. And so before I can guide somebody to a life of gospel transformation, I, I really have to, to make sure that I am being transformed through the power of the gospel now because I can't take somebody to some place that I've not ever been. You know, as I, as I think about guides, I have a friend, his name is Brian. He's a fishing guide. Every day the weather is nice here in Middle Tennessee, he takes somebody fishing for a living. That's a pretty cool job. I have a friend, his name is Jimmy. I saw him a couple weeks ago. I hadn't seen him in years. He's a tour guide. I saw him at the airport. I was rushing to uh, catch a flight and uh, he yelled my name and I said, hey, what's going on? He said, I'm about to head to Hawaii. I said, cool, man, that's great. I said, what, what are you doing now? He said, I'm a, I'm a travel guide. I said, well, tell me about that. He said, well, I book trips, take trips. I'm nonstop. I mean, that's what I do. I take vacations for a living. <laughs> cool. I have another friend. He's a, he's a personal shopper. He, he enjoys shopping. I, I don't. And uh, he, you know, puts together outfits for businessmen. And uh, he didn't do, I picked the suit out myself, but <laughs> it's cheaper to do that. <laughs> he's a clothes guy. But what I want to lay out to you is God is calling us to be a guide. He's calling us to guide people to lives of gospel transformation. And when we do that, there's these questions that we really have to ask and engage to, to make sure we're really on this process of being transformed ourselves. So last week we said, when are we turning the pages? It's, it's been amazing because we said there's no transformation without the truth. Uh, how many folks this week uh, have been listening to the John 21 Day Challenge, listening to the Word of God, being taught, some great testimonies from folks are really re-engaging in the Word, and that's cool. So today we're going to talk about prayer and where is prayer leading me? What is God doing as you're spending time with him in prayer? And I want to start by confessing some things that I have believed falsely or wrongly about prayer, if I can do that, just to be vulnerable. Uh, because I, I certainly want to grow in, in prayer. Prayer is this incredible gift that God has given to us, but I don't know how to access it in the ways that I should. The first thing that I have believed wrong about prayer is, is I thought for years that prayer was preparation for the battle. I've come to believe that prayer is not preparation for the battle, prayer is the battle. When you study the Gospels and see Jesus' life, he spent time praying. Praying for him was like running the marathon, and then ministry was like going to receive his prize. Praying for Jesus was like taking the exam. Ministry was like going and receiving his diploma. Let me ask you to think about this question. Perhaps what was the most agonizing event in Jesus' life? Most people would say the cross, but the only time in scripture that Jesus literally was sweating drops of blood because of the anguish he was going through was not on the cross. It was in the garden of Gethsemane when he was in prayer. Do you remember that story? It would just be hours before this mock trial and his subsequent crucifixion. And Jesus goes to the garden of Gethsemane with Peter, James, and John. He says, hey guys, could you pray with me? I'm going to go a little further. You guys just stay right here and pray with me. And what'd they do? fell asleep. Jesus comes back and wakes him up and says, guys, could you pray with me? He goes off to pray again. They're asleep. Three times he does this. Now, 
when the moment of truth came, which was the crucifixion, Jesus succeeded, right? King Jesus succeeded. What about those three guys that slept? Fled in fear. I'm here to tell you that prayer is not preparation for the battle. Prayer is the battle. The second thing that I've believed wrongly about prayer, and I've said this, I've said, you know what, prayer is just talking to God. You can't do it wrong. As long as you're talking to God, that's what prayer is. And that's not totally accurate. You know, this past weekend, I've been real frustrated because when I made a phone call this weekend, every phone call that I made this weekend, the operator got on it and said, hey, not hey, but you know, she or he said, you need to, need to dial an area code. We've never had to do that before. Anybody else get frustrated this weekend? Now, don't send me a text. Tell me how you could program. I won't do it. I just dial the number. I call my dad. It's like, you need to get an air. I have to have an air code to call my dad. He lives just a few miles away. But unless I dialed the area code, I didn't make the connection. I was dialing incomplete. And I think that's kind of a picture of our prayer life. It's a little bit incomplete. And so here's what Jesus said. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Luke chapter 11 and keep your Bible open. If you have a pen, please keep that with you because I'm going to spend some time outlining the first part of this chapter. Uh, we're going to study the Bible for the next few minutes. I've cut all the funny antidotes out of my sermon, so sorry. I just want us to dig into truth uh, today. Let, let's take a look. In Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1, it says, He was praying in a certain place, and when he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples to pray. Fascinating. Jesus was praying in a certain place. We said last week about having a time with the Lord. Part of having a successful time with the Lord is having a place. Jesus had that. He's praying. After he's through praying, one of his disciples said, hey, Jesus, could you teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray? Here's one of the things we know about John the Baptist. He was living the God life. He was the teaching the people following uh, him how to have a vibrant prayer life and be transformed through the power of the gospel and ultimately handed them off to Jesus. And then his disciples asked him this question. It is the only time in the New Testament that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to do something. Now, they spent three years with the greatest preacher who has ever preached. They didn't ask him to teach us how to preach. With the greatest healer who has ever healed. They didn't ask him to teach them how to heal. With the greatest leader who has ever led, and they didn't ask him, hey, Jesus, teach us how to lead. They saw something in his prayer life that they wanted, and they said, teach us how to pray. Charles Spurgeon said, I'd rather teach one man how to pray than 10 men how to preach. Now, Jesus is going to answer the question. You, you say you're wearing glasses because last service, for some reason, I was like Saul on the road to Damascus. I was trying to read the scripture and I couldn't see it. So it is time to bring my Walgreen readers out <laughs> for the glory of God. <laughs> uh, he said to them in answer to the question, no, Jesus is going to teach them how to pray. He doesn't say, watch this. He doesn't say, hey, guys, you don't, need, you don't need anybody to teach you how to pray. Just talking to God. That's all it is. I'm going to teach you how to pray. Just talk to him. You can't do it wrong as long as you're talking to him. I've said that. It's wrong. He said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Let's stop right there. If you have a pen, out beside verse 2, write personhood or person. Now, Jesus, l l listen to this. Jesus is giving them an outline 
I think it's more correctly, it ought to be more correctly called the model prayer. We've called it the Lord's Prayer. Jesus didn't need to pray this prayer because in just a few moments we're going to see, Father, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. Did Jesus need forgiveness of his sin? No. He was teaching his disciples how to pray. He's giving them an outline. I, I come out here on Sunday mornings, and this is like Linus's blanket. I mean, this is my outline here. This keeps me focused. I have my notes. Some of you have learned you can look on the back screen. It has them too. Quit doing that. Don't do that. It's for me. But this keeps me organized, but this model prayer keeps us organized, but it also prioritizes what we ought to pray first. And he says, first of all, as you start praying, pray Father. About six or seven times in the Old Testament, we see this word used. It was used by the whole nation of Israel praying. But 275 times in the New Testament, it says that we can approach God as Father, this Abba Father. And it says that, God, you are full of grace and you, full, you are full of mercy. You may not have a, a great father figure here on planet Earth, but there is a God who is a perfect father figure. So you start praying by praying the personhood of God. You talk about him first. That's what Jesus is saying. And your view of God will change the power that you have in prayer. The next thing he says is, hallowed be thy name. That is still talking about the personhood of God because it's saying, God, your name is holy. God, you, your personhood is holiness. That means moral perfection. If you want a vibrant and healthy prayer life, it starts by praying the personhood of God. God, you're full of mercy. God, you are holy. Well, well, what does that mean? When I begin to praise God for his holiness, it also reminds me that as his child, in his personhood, he is holy. But in my pursuit, I'm pursuing holiness. But here's what we do. We, in our culture today, we tend to whittle God down to our size. We don't live holy lives. You see, but when I'm praying the holiness of God, I understand that is the standard. But transforming prayers, you have this in your notes, don't attempt to whittle God down to size. Where is the area? Now, let, let, me, let me think about this for a little bit. I'll share an example for me. I want to try to be vulnerable today. Last night, we had some friends over, and uh, we had a good time, and we, everybody brought food, and I ate and ate and ate. And I'm at the place in my life where I know what the Scripture says. I know what the Scripture says about my body. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit, and I need to take care of my body. And I didn't do that last night. In a sense, I whittled God down to my size. God, you created me. You gave me this body to take care of, but I didn't do that last night. I whittled him down to my size. We live in a culture today that just continually whittles God down to size. We live in a culture today that says we can do whatever we want to do sexually. If that's men and men, women and women, before we get married, whatever, we just whittle him down to size. And when you begin to pray the personhood of God, we say, God, you are holy. And I'm not going to whittle you down to size. I'm going to pursue holiness in my life. So where in your life, let me ask you this, to start prayer. We pray the personhood of God. Where is it in your life that you are whittling God down to size. Now, secondly, let's look on. It's still in verse two, the second word we have. And we're outlining, you know, my, my desire, can I just share my dream? Can I share my dream? My dream that one day you would open your scripture and you would sit down with another person and you'd just share this simple outline with them. Because the God life is not about you telling people what you know. The God life is taking people to the word of God and tell them what Jesus has taught you. You see? And just this simple outline. The second is praying the program 
of God. What does it mean to pray the program of God? Well, let's think about it. What is God's program? What is God up to? If I start off praying the personhood of God, secondly, I pray the program of God. Here's the program of God. God's program is redeeming men, women, and boys and girls. You see, God created our world. Man rebelled against that. God's plan still in place to one day send a Messiah, which he did in Jesus Christ, who came as a servant, who came to take upon our sin and pay the full penalty for our sin so that we could be forgiven. And one day he is coming again. And the scripture says this, the scripture says one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to bow and praise God for the glory of Jesus Christ, that he is King Jesus. One day every person will admit that. But for most, it will be too late. The program of God, praying the program of God, is being more concerned about the people that you are praying for being under the rule and reign. You ought to write those two words down. The rule and reign, that's the kingdom of God. Praying the kingdom of God means, God, I want my church to be involved in ministry that is allowing people to come under the rule and reign of you, Jesus. God, in my own life, the people that I touch, the people that I work with, the people that I lead, the people that I'm around, my children, I want them to know you as King Jesus and come under your rule and reign. That's what it means to pray the kingdom of God. Your, your kingdom come. God, I want to be involved in people surrendering to your rule and reign, King Jesus. But lastly, I can't pray, Lord, your kingdom come, unless I'm honest and say, Jesus, there are some little kingdoms in my life that I have not yet surrendered to your rule and reign. It is one thing to pray that your kingdom would come in so-and-so's life. It is a whole other thing to say, Jesus, would you tear down any of the little kingdoms that I am holding on to? What is the little kingdom in your life that you're holding on to that you have not yet surrendered to the rule and reign of King Jesus? When the little kingdoms come down, God's power will begin to be manifest. Your prayer life will begin to be transformed. Let me tell you something about prayer. It's why Jesus' disciples ask him, hey, teach us to pray. Because there's so much more that God wants to do in and through us through prayer than we ever would understand. I was uh, waiting for my wife outside of Kroger's Friday night. Clay was in the car and he was playing music off his phone. It wasn't connected. Some of you know this. It was fascinating to me. It wasn't connected to the radio. And I said, how are you doing that? He said, Dad, it's Bluetooth. I said, can my phone do that? He said, yeah. Can you make it do that? Yeah. So he takes my phone. Some of you know this. This was the first time for me. He, he hooks it up, connects me in my wife's car to Bluetooth, and now I'm playing my music over Bluetooth. Amy gets in the car and says, that's my phone. It's my songs. Bluetooth. Who knew? She said, I can do that. Didn't know it. My phone can do a lot more than I thought. You know what, prayer, your prayer life could be so vibrant and so powerful and so transformational, but it really starts with beginning to pray. The outline that Jesus has laid out, the personhood of God, the program of God, that's what scripture is calling us to do. Now, look at this, you have it in your notes. Transforming prayers prioritize God's program over ours. Most of our prayer is praying our program. We want people to be healthy. We want people to be comfortable. We want people to be protected. Please hear what I'm about to say. It's not that that stuff is not important. It is. But what is primarily important is that people would surrender to the rule and reign of King Jesus. This prayer teaches us the order of how we should pray. We pray the personhood of God. We pray the program of God. Let's think about this. Who are you praying for right now? 
that they would yield to God's rule and reign in their life? What little kingdom in your life are you offering up to the Lord so that you can be fully surrendered to his program for you? Let's look at the third thing. Look at verse three. Third word you ought to write down in your scripture is provision. It's a big one. We've prayed the personhood of God. We've praised him for who he is. We're beginning to pray the program of God, God's rule and reign in those around me, in my own life. Now we pray the provision of God. Look at verse three. Give us each day our daily bread. This is a fascinating, fascinating phrase in Greek. I don't want to bore you here, but the uh, Greek that we see, the New Testament was originally written in Koine Greek. Nobody speaks Koine Greek anymore. They speak, speak classical Greek. Most of what is written is in classical Greek. So classical Greek doesn't have this word that translators translate daily bread. And so translators just guessed for years. Now they guessed right because they were under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But several years ago, archeology span did us a favor and uncovered what amounted to a woman's grocery list that she had written in classical Greek. And we see this word for the first time that was in Koine Greek in classical Greek, and it is her grocery list. And she's praying, or not praying, she is writing a list and she lists perishable things. Lord, give me today my daily bread. That's a perishable thing, enough that I need for today. We don't pray that way. We want a healthy retirement account. Savings is good, we should save. But most of us today, listen, the biggest decision we have about lunch is where, what, what restaurant are we going to go to, not where are we going to get our, our next meal. Do you understand that the vast majority of people on planet earth are concerned about how they're going to feed their family tomorrow? And so Jesus says, when you pray for provision, pray for perishable things. Lord, give me enough for today. Uh, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8. Listen to this, verse 8 and verse 9. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only daily bread. Look at verse 9. Otherwise, I might have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? In other words, who needs you? I've got everything I own. Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Lord, give me enough to meet my needs today. Now, here's the thing. I want to be vulnerable with you again. God doesn't let me preach anything until I, I have to live it. This last week, kind of out of the blue, two separate writing assignments came to me, and uh, I had a chance to do things that I had dreamed about doing, and uh, to be honest, very lucrative. Now, now let, let me say this. I, I'm fine financially. I'm fine, right? Somebody's saying, yeah, I bet you are. Between you and God. I'm fine. But I'm talking some real money. And I'm thinking, yeah. So I started making a list. I, I got on the internet. I, I was spending that money. There's some things. I got everything I need, but you know what? Here's a chance. I mean, I wasn't counting on this. This is just coming in extra. There's a chance to kind of get some stuff that, you know. Okay, I'll tell you, it was a boat. <laughs> I called my buddy. He sells them. Hey, man and told him what I wanted, told him what was coming in. And so then I, then I talked to my wife, and we were talking about that, and I said, man, that's pretty cool. And she said, yeah, you know what I've been thinking? I thought, oh, boy. <laughs> she said, we have all that we need, don't we? I said, yeah, we do. She said, we could really be a blessing to, uh, she listed a group of people specifically. She said, we could really be a blessing to them. She said, God provides for us. Why don't we give that to them? Why, 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 why don't we? I said, why, why, that, that. I mean, I was swallowed hard. And she said, is that a problem? No. That, 
good. It's good. That's good. And it's so hard, isn't it? It's so difficult. You see, because this prayer, give us today our daily bread, perishable. Lord, give me enough for today so I will trust you to meet my needs tomorrow. And it's also plural. Give us meaning we live in community. Do you understand that? We live in community. Really, if we are, are, are part of the family of God, what is mine is yours and what is yours is mine. So I'll just borrow your boat. We'll be good. <laughs> you see? So if I have more than I need, God has given me more than I need so I could be a blessing to others. Now, you see how this is very different than how we pray? Because we pray for comfort, man. We pray for extra. But Jesus is saying, if you want to pray the way that I'm teaching you to pray, pray for those perishable things. Give me what I need just for today. Let's look at the fourth thing. Verse four, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Let's talk about this for just a moment. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've come to Christ through repentance and faith, all of your sins have been forgiven in Christ. When Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, he paid for all of your sins or he hasn't paid for any of them. Do you believe that? That's why the Bible says the blood of Christ Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's good news. That's why we're here today worshiping, right? If you're a follower of Christ. That's why you're here. You don't have to be here. I want to be here because there has been one who has completely canceled my debt and I'm in love with him. I'm here to worship him. I'm here to study his word because of what he's done. But then Jesus says, we pray, Father, forgive us our sins. This is confession. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. I am positionally redeemed through the blood of Christ Jesus. But in my daily life, I'm still growing as a follower of Jesus Christ. Sin is still a part of my life. Now, I'm not going to have to pay for that because Jesus has already paid for it, but it affects my life here and now and my ability to bring glory to God. So I'm confessing my sin. The other thing it does... Because this is just natural rhythm. Here's what Jesus says. We pray, Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Now, that is so hard, isn't it, to forgive others? But when you are consistently confessing your sin, it is a reminder on a daily basis that I am a sinner in need of God's grace. And so I have way more patience with others who have wronged me and have sinned against me. Does that make sense? That's just this rhythm. Listen, hey, if you're here today, and there are people in your life as a, as a follower of Christ that you have not forgiven, it will limit God's power in your life, in your prayer. Take a look at what your notes say. Transforming prayers, humbly admit personal sin, thus allowing us to better understand those who sin against us. Now let's look at uh, the next thing, protection. The second part of verse four, and lead us not into temptation. Here's what a transforming prayer does. A transforming prayer realizes that the enemy has a plan to separate us from God. And I want to show you something that nobody, you may not get this. This may be, you know, you may say, man, I, I don't I get where you're coming from. You can take the model prayer and pray the opposite of it, and you will see the enemy's plan for your life. The enemy, if you're a believer here today, the enemy's plan is to separate you. He cannot separate you positionally with Christ, but he can keep you in a disconnected state, void of God's power in your life. Here's what I mean. How did Jesus tell us to start this prayer? Father, right? Is that right? Can somebody nod? What does Father mean? Father means grace and mercy. The enemy's lie to you that says, says this, God's not good. He doesn't love you. He's forgotten about you. Do you see that? Father, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. You know what the enemy says? Hey, your kingdom is more important than his. Live for your kingdom. Pursue the things that are important to you. That's the message that comes. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Give us today our daily bread. No, 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 no. Man, greed, holding, grabbing, hoarding, making money your God. That's what the enemy will do. You see, everything that Jesus is teaching us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, the enemy is saying the opposite to you because he wants to separate you from God. Pray for God to forgive you. Listen, that's not sin, man. You just see it differently. I, I talked to somebody this week that was living in sin according to the Word of God. I shared the Word of God with them, showed them what the Word of God said, and they said, hey, that's true for you, but that's not true for me. That is listening to the lie of the enemy saying that you know truth and not God and failing to come under his authority. Do you see that? Just take a look at the Lord's Prayer. Pray it in reverse or look at the opposite and you'll see the enemy's plan for your life. Isn't that fascinating at some level? Forgive those who sin against you. Why would I do that? Man, he cost me a job. She said something that turned so many of my friends against me. Why would I do that? Hold on to it. You're playing right into his hand. You'll be bitter and you'll miss God's power in your life. You see that? That's the enemy's plan. So we pray God's protection. What is God's protection? Father, lead me not into temptation. Father, teach me to know your word so I can see the enemy's schemes. Do you understand that the enemy has a plan for you on a daily basis? It is God's truth that will lead you around that plan. Do you see it? Father, would you enlighten my mind to truth so I can see the lies of the enemy for what they are and skirt around them and experience what you have for me? Let's look at the last thing. If you have your Bibles, open them back up again to Luke chapter 11. This is so important, starting in verse 5. Because the reason that you quit praying, the reason that you're prayer life is suffering for so many people is this. You know what? I tried that and God didn't answer. I prayed for him and he still died. I prayed for for their marriage and they still divorced. I prayed that he would come to faith in Christ and he still hasn't. So God doesn't hear me. God's not powerful enough to do anything. That's what we think. Listen to what is about to happen. Jesus just gives us an outline for prayer, right, in the first four verses, and then he's going to tell us a very important condition of prayer. He could have talked about anything, but he chooses to talk about this one thing, and it's the last point we'll make today. Would you lock in for just a second? Let's look down. If you have your scripture, look down at verse 5. As soon as the model prayer is over, he also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer. Jesus is teaching a parable. He's going to make a point about something that is so important in our prayer life. It's the reason why many times we don't have prayers that are answered. And Jesus sets a scenario. Now, this is a first century culture that didn't have 24-hour Walmart. He couldn't go down to the Mapco at three in the morning. Here's a guy, Jesus says, he and his family are there, and all of a sudden, there's a knock on his door, and it's an old buddy with his family says, hey, forgot to call, we're here, and we're hungry. He doesn't have anything to eat, so he goes to a neighbor and asks for bread, right? 
because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him, verse 7, then he will answer from inside and say, don't bother me. Do you love friends like that? Get lost. Door's already locked. My children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of this friend's persistence, there it is, y'all, to underline that word. This is what Jesus is trying to teach us. He will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who searches finds. The one who knocks, the door will be open. Here's what we do with parables. Listen to me. We say, okay. I know I'm in this, so which one am I? Okay, I think I'm the friend who had the guy drop in on him. Which one is God? I think God's the one that wouldn't get up and answer the door. I don't like that. Jesus is making an argument from the least to the greater. He says, if you are persistent with just a, just a normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill neighbor, your persistence moves him to action. How much more with a God who loves you and has died for you, if you are persistent in your prayers with him, will God not answer? Here's the thing about persistent prayers. You can go over and read Luke chapter 18. God honors persistent prayers. One of the reasons why prayers aren't answered is we just give up. Do you hear what he says? He says, ask, seek, knock. One of the reasons why the church today isn't seeing answers to prayer is because we're not persistent. We live in a culture, we pull around, we give our order, and in 45 seconds we have our food and we're on our way. We want it now. Can I tell you something? God doesn't work that way, regardless of whether you and I like it or not. Be persistent about it. In the last service, it's hard for even to talk about this. In the last service, Pastor Ray baptized a man 89 years old. His family has been praying for him for years, and they didn't give up. Hey, what's one thing in your life that you've quit praying for God to move? What's one person that you've just quit praying? Man, I tried it. I had my small group. We prayed for six weeks. How about 16 years? How about in this case, 60 years? Do you know what God is teaching us? Jesus could have said anything He could have made any comment after he just taught us to pray, but the thing that he made a comment on was our persistence in prayer. So here's what we need to know. God honors persistent prayer. Who have I quit on? Let's look at the second thing about persistent prayer. And I wish we could spend more time on that. Persistent prayer changes us because you can't stay in the presence of God through prayer for whatever reason and not be changed. You may, let me give you an example. You may be praying for a prodigal child. Lord, would you bring them back home? Lord, would you change their heart? And what God's saying is, hey, before I change them, I want to change you. You've been an overbearing parent. You haven't been forgiven. You haven't been full of grace. You haven't loved them like I have loved them. Let me change you first. Maybe you're here today and you're a husband and your wife has left and you are begging God for her to come back. God, would you move? You've got your small group praying for that. Everybody who you talk to, you say, would you pray for her that her heart would be turned and she would come back home and you're persistent. And persistent prayer may be God allowing that to change you. The value of persistent prayer, William McGill said, is not that he will hear us, but that we will finally hear him. Is that good? The value of persistent prayer is not that God will hear us, that we would finally hear him. Many times, God needs to do something in us 
before he changes the situation around us. Persistent prayer keeps you in the presence of God and spiritual transformation, listen, doesn't take place overnight. Do you believe that? Spiritual transformation doesn't take place overnight. I've told you before, I'm a barbecue connoisseur. Love it. No good barbecue when I taste it. You don't get good barbecue out of the microwave. I'm just being quick with you. I don't have much time, right? If somebody invites you over and says, hey, go barbecue, whatever the meat is, how'd you do it? Two and a half minutes in the microwave. You want some of that? I'm out. I want the guy who's been up for two nights slow cooking that stuff. It just falls off the bone, melts in your mouth because good barbecue takes time. Spiritual transformation takes time. Don't give up. Ask, the scripture says. Just make your request. Seek. Knock. That's passion. That's persistence. This is what Jesus is saying. If you want your prayer life to go to the next level, it's going to take persistence. Let let me close with, with this. The question today is, where is prayer leading me? Today, before we answer that, I wonder how many of you here as believers, you said, you know what, Pastor Brady, my prayer life could grow. Pastor Brady, to be honest with you, I've always seen prayer as preparation instead of the battle. God, would you change my heart? Pastor, to to be honest with you, I thought prayer was just just simply talking to God. And I realized I had some order out of whack. I pray my needs. I pray my person first. I pray for my will to be done, my kingdom. And I see what God has done. I see that. I want to surrender to that. But listen to me. I know it's time to go. And I know people are moving around. And I get that. I couldn't listen to me for 30 minutes either. But listen to me. This is the beautiful thing about these questions. Where is prayer leading you? Well, here's the thing. There's some of you in this room that outside of just a major crisis, nowhere. To be honest, you don't talk to God on a daily basis. To be frank, it's been a long time. Maybe one of the most simple verses in the Bible is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him, this is the word that we have a hard time with. We don't understand it. To believe means to be love, to be in love with, not just to believe the facts, but to fully yield to Christ and be in love with him. Hey, you cannot be in love with somebody that you don't talk to. You can't. If you love someone, you can't keep from talking to them. My favorite time is in the morning because I get up and I get to talk to the one who's died for me. And then I sit beside my bride and we talk and we drink coffee and we laugh. I love her. I'm late for work sometimes because we are talking. You can't keep me from talking to her. But today, here's the issue for you in your life. Your prayer life, or lack thereof, reveals something far greater. That you've never fallen in love with the one who loved you so much that he died in your place. And before any transformation will take place, this has to happen. Can I tell you a verse that will be answered today? Can I tell you a prayer that will be answered today? Can I say that? 
Can I show you something? Because some of you are like, man, this thing's so hard, persistent. I don't know if I have that time. Let me just tell you something. Let me show you a prayer that will be answered right now. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. It says, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Some of you today would say, Jesus, I don't love you. I know that because I don't ever talk to you. But today I realize that you love me. And today I realize you stepped out of heaven to die in my place. And I realize you got plans for my life. I realize you want to do something in me. And it's not going so well here. And so if this is a prayer that you will answer, I'm in. I'm going to call on you. Would you bow your head right now all across this room? Somebody here today. The ear of heaven is bent toward you. Would you admit your sin? and your selfishness? Would you admit your need for a savior? Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.